Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This is Little Atoms, a radio show about ideas and culture. With me, Neil Denny. On today's show, Shantanu Bhattacharya on his debut novel, One Small Voice. Shantanu Bhattacharya grew up in India and studied at the University of Oxford and the National University of Singapore. He is the winner of the 2021 Mo Sucharan Prize, the Life Writing Prize and the London Writers Award. His works have been nominated for the Fourth Right Prize, the Blue Pencil Agency First Novel Award and the Pontus and JJ Bowler Emerging Writers Prize and have appeared in Commonwealth Writers Adder. He now lives in London and today we're going to be talking about Shantanu's debut novel, which is One Small Voice. Shantanu, welcome to Little Atoms. Thanks. Thanks for having me. First of all, describe the novel. How would you describe the novel? Right. So um, I'd call it the, the modern Indian millennial novel. That's kind of my one-line pitch. But essentially, it is the journey of, of a young boy who then becomes a young man. And it begins in the early 1990s when Shubhankar, who is the protagonist, he's about 10 years old and he witnesses an act of mob violence. And... Um, for various reasons, he decides not to talk about it. So he keeps it all bottled up. And the story then follows him over the next 25 years, where on the one hand, he's trying to find a way out of that trauma. Uh, but on the other hand, he's also growing up, uh, you know, from child to adolescent, um, to a young adult, moving to the big city from his North Indian town of Lucknow. He moves to Mumbai for work. Uh, and he's experiencing life as any young person would, making friends. You know, exploring sexuality, uh, earning his own money, and so on. So I think, in a way, it is the coming-of-age story of Shubhankar, but through him, we also see the immense changes that have taken place in India over the last three decades, and what that has meant for people and their relationships, and kind of the the generational shift that has happened in in attitude, but also the rise of the right-wing politics that have taken over the country uh, and brought us to kind of where we are now. So it's a debut novel, but you've been writing for a while. You've written stories. And so tell us how this novel, how the novel actually came together. Yeah, I don't think I wrote that much before I started writing this novel, to be honest. It wasn't kind of a huge body of work I was producing. But I did start writing after kind of I finished university and I started working. And initially it was kind of, you know, whatever idea would come to me, I'd try to write a short story which didn't read so badly. So I got quite encouraged by them. And then in 2012, uh, I won a prize, uh, which was a UK-based prize, even though I kind of submitted it from Mumbai, where I was living then. 
and that was really a shot in the arm and it was a huge boost and i got really encouraged and my mind started working in different ways to what more i could be writing you know i dabbled i had a blog so i was i was doing that i dabbled in some kind of ideas of travel writing went off to a few places tried to write about them but then there was this story that is now this novel um you know that was germinating inside me and that's when i took this on and i wrote a few thousand words didn't really like what i was writing so put it away for some time uh and there was a lot of stuff that was happening in my life at that time as well so i moved to the uk did a masters in oxford for a year found a job you know started working so a lot of life admin stuff was happening around so put the novel away for some time and then came back to it in 2017 and that's from when i've been writing it you know properly in in good earnest with the intention of actually finishing it and getting it published So tell us a little bit more about Shubhankar or Shubhi as he reinvents himself part of the way through the novel. You've introduced him a little bit, but tell us a bit more about who he is. I wanted him to be, um, I think somebody, you know, one of the readers called him an everyman. And I thought that was uh, such a good description of him. He is someone who any of us could be. He is... um, He's right in the middle of everything in the sense that he is is not brilliant in his academics. He is not bad either. uh he is shy he is reserved but he's not completely and you know, socially inept he is not the loudest person in the room but also kind of not the most awkward guy so he's just there kind of he's a presence and he could be any of us and um there are different parts to him that come out in different situations so with his parents he is you know a certain kind of person with his friends he's a certain kind of person he can be funny and humorous when he wants to flirt he tries to flirt sometimes successfully sometimes unsuccessfully so he's kind of expressing himself in different ways based on the situation and he's finding his way through life and he's finding his place in the world so there isn't a kind of very strong personality there and that was a challenge when writing this character because it's easier to write stronger protagonists give them the best lines give them the the strongest actions So it was challenging to find a way to tell this story through somebody who isn't the strongest presence in this novel in fact you know there's a there's a large cast of characters and everyone i feel like everyone else other than Shubhankar is probably more illustrious in some way or the other than he is but in a way that was what i was trying to do i was trying to show that this could be any of us uh, his qualities could be any of our qualities and then what would our journey look like As you mentioned the the novel starts in the um well it's the 80s as well but mainly the 1990s and then on into the 21st century at this point they're living in Lucknow as you mentioned and mm-hmm. Shivanka comes from it's a middle class family but also a high caste family and it's interesting to see how those two those two things sort of parallel each other they're middle class but not that successful i guess his parents and they want to put all of their hopes into their sons they have two sons becoming more successful in the future so tell us something a little bit about that sort of interaction between class and caste in india in those days and perhaps how that sort of changed over the subsequent 30 years i think it's very interesting and this is something that you know people in india would get but it's really difficult to explain because you know there are so many different intersectionalities we all know about the caste system and you know it's 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 talked about a lot for good reason but the way i think post independence india evolved indian society at that time 
there were opportunities and you know some level of meritocracy came in that is not to kind of say that the caste system does not exist or did not did not kind of benefit the higher castes but there is an intersectionality in class and caste and how much money you have is not reflective always of the intergenerational privileges that come with caste so a higher caste could mean more respect in society more access to social capital whereas class can be about how much money is earned and how much money is passed on and there was a time in the past when um, you know in our history when those two things could be conflated that a higher caste was meant more money because it came from standing in society and came from the occupation you held but in modern india post independence i think there was a lot of kind of fuzzing of those lines and so where we find shubhankar's family is that they are high caste and that you know gives them access to certain privileges but financially they are just about okay they are not poor they you know they have a roof over their heads and they have food on the table they have money to pay the fees of the sons and buy some clothes and go to weddings and go on a holiday now and then and so on but it doesn't translate to any sort of uh, luxury or any sort of uh, extravagance in any way so you mentioned the well I was going to say the incident but we shouldn't really say incident because there is another incident that that happens to Shabby later on in the novel that is hinted at in the earlier parts of the book but the earlier inciting incident that he witnesses the sort of mob violence that he witnesses we don't have to go into any detail as to what actually happens people can discover that for themselves but that in itself is incited by something that that really happened the, the Babri Majid mosque incident tell us what that yeah. was so uh, on 6th of december 1992 a 16th century mosque uh, was brought down by the hindu nationalists the right wing party and uh, a faction of that party uh, now in power it was a process i think that started where a few years ago in terms of claiming more space for um the hindu identity in modern india when india became independent and when our constitution was written it was very clearly uh, kind of stated that it was it was going to be a secular country and there was equal space for all religions uh, so constitutionally that was guaranteed and the years after independence i feel like and, and this will be highly disputed by a lot of people but but there was because it was constitutionally kind of guaranteed and codified there was effort to keep the country that way of course there were there were incidents and there were riots and you know there was unrest among communities that's how india has been for a long time and throughout the colonial times the couple of centuries that the british ruled over us you know they kind of fueled that fire to create more divide among communities so there was a lot of baggage from that time as well so it wasn't all peaceful it wasn't you know, i'm not a romanticist it wasn't all hunky dory but there was an effort to to form a country and because i think everyone from those earlier generations post independence were really bought into this idea of a common nationhood and you know india as one country for for all communities especially after partition where pakistan became a muslim country and you know the the, the traumas of the partition india kind of identified itself as a secular country that would have equal treatment for all its minorities and you know for all its communities that started to change in the late 80s with this narrative of 
kind of Hinduism and Hindus being under threat. And that is when this campaign for more presence of Hindu um, culture and the concept of a Hindu Rashtra, which is a Hindu India as a Hindu nation, kind of came into being. A part of that campaign was driven by this uh, rhetoric that mosque, Babri Masjid, where actually it was kind of a non-functional mosque. No one was praying there. It was a 16th century monument that it was actually the birthplace of one of the Hindu gods of Rama. And kind of way back, this was like decades back in the 1950s, there was an idol that was found. And and I won't go into a lot of that history. It's there for everyone to, to go and kind of read. It's all available on the internet. But essentially, what it all came down to was there was this rally to um, in front of the Babri Masjid where thousands of um, thousands of kind of right wing party workers assembled, and it went out of hand, and they started attacking the mosque and brought it down literally by hand. And they are called Kar Sevaks, which is actually the Kar means hand in Hindi, so it's literally kind of people who you know work with their hands. And the mosque was brought down, and that obviously led to a lot of violence across the country. There were riots. I was very young then. Uh, and I remember kind of seeing these visuals on TV and in the newspapers. Our schools were closed and we were kind of stuck at home wondering what's going on. There'd be kind of spots of violence in our city as well. So that was what kind of brought about this inciting incident in the book where there is a mob violence that Shubankar witnesses. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.
You're listening to Little Atoms. I'm Neil Denny. Today I'm talking to Shantanu Bhattacharya and we're talking about his debut novel, One Small Voice. And Shantanu, just staying with that early 90s beginnings of the, the sort of rise of modern Hindu nationalism, there's a character that you represent this through in the book, Shuresh Malza, um, a sort of local politician to begin with. Tell us something about who he is. Yeah, he's an interesting guy. Um, he is, uh, well, He every family has one or two relatives who have kind of reached outside of the realm of the family, uh, especially family like this, where everyone is very kind of middle class and just wakes up, has their tea, has their breakfast, goes to work. Uh, Suresh Masa is the guy who knows people who can make things happen. And I think as the story goes on, we realize that that is because he he has political connections and he has political aspirations. And uh, yeah, and he is basically somebody who, as the story progresses, climbs through the ranks. Um, I think he gets elected into the state legislature and then you know, he's having meetings with central ministers and yeah, I mean, he's he's. I, I think he's one of the minor characters. He's not he's not that important, but I think it's it's been important to to the story to have somebody to, you know, kind of see what that what that progress and what that political progress has meant for some people and how it has impacted families and communities where such people were very embedded and where they were doing favors to their relatives and how the relatives felt in a way beholden to these people and in a way the the narrative that then took over the country you know these people were the nodes of the, that information and that philosophy essentially i mentioned that shivanka's parents are obviously keen to to educate the boys keen to see that they would advance through indian society through their education that's the one way they can do it and so first of all we see them they go to what is basically a Christian school. Tell us something about the school they go to. So when I was growing up and for many decades after independence, there were mainly, I'd say, two kinds of schools. There were the the Christian schools run by missionaries, which in a way had survived colonial rule and post-independence. And these were, these were what we call the English medium schools. So if you wanted to learn English and if you wanted to study in English, have an English education, then these were the schools you went to. And then there were the other state schools, which were in the local language. So whichever state you were in, uh, that's the language you would study in. There were some other kind of centrally run schools as well. But it was quite a segregated school education system. I think in, in the last couple of decades, we've seen more schools come up with kind of the international baccalaureate. These are more kind of the high-end public schools that charge a lot of money that a lot of parents send their kids to. But those schools did not really exist that much when I was growing up. And so that's the kind of school he goes to, where there's a lot of emphasis on speaking in English. You know, we were punished for not speaking in English in school. It was quite a kind of a dislocating experience to be out in the streets and speak our local language and speak my mother tongue at home. But suddenly in school, we were very different and we were all speaking English and punished if we didn't. But yeah, I would say that a lot of the... I mean, much of the reason for Indians being quite conversant in English and why India has done well on a global scale because of kind of, you know, English becoming this global language of business and Indians being able to being fluent or conversant in English was down to a lot of people having an English medium education. So 
I think we have had a role to play in in where India finds itself in the global economy today. So I'm not taking credit away from them. It was just quite a dislocating experience to have to kind of context switch into different languages um, at different points of the day. There's a scene in the book where through the school, the kids go and do something with the amazing name of socially useful, productive work. <laughs> yeah. What was that? It, it was actually a subject and it was an optional subject when I was growing up, uh, SUPW, socially useful, productive work. And that's that was kind of the label for doing any kind of charity work in the community. But it was also kind of a subject and the marks, you know, factored into your total score at the end of the year. And a lot of people would do that because they would want to get a good score. And, you know, you, you can't really get marked down for SUPW if you if you turned up and I don't know, cleaned the pavement or taught kids to draw or whatever. You'd get full marks essentially. And this is the the late nineties leading up to the the Y2K literally, which features yeah. in the book. And this is the beginning <clears throat> of India becoming like a world powerhouse in engineering, computing and IT. And so it's absolutely critical for this entire generation of people to get into uh, Indian Institute of Technology College. And we we see this and, and the application process of this and the toll that it takes on some of the other students in that generation. Um, so tell us something about what, what this was like in the, in the sort of late 90s. I mean, I think that's still the case. India is still... India has kind of established itself itself as a global information technology powerhouse. But, you know, given the population of India, there's still room to grow. And now we have CEOs of major technology companies who are Indian uh, across the world. Um, I think India is home to a record number of unicorns, which is companies with over $1 billion valuation. Uh, so startups essentially, and this will only grow. So there's there's still a lot of that happening, kind of that obsession with technology, and it's been a great story of social mobility, whereby you know by sheer kind of dint of uh, meritocracy, if people were good at something, you know they got to study it and they got to get jobs, and that has lifted a lot of people out of difficult situations or even like sheer poverty. But there is also something quite problematic about there being just one option for an entire generation of people or like generation after generation of young people where, you know, you study engineering, you get a job with, um, you know, with a multinational company, whether it be an Indian multinational or American multinational. And that's the only path that your parents can imagine for you. And so everything else kind of falls by the wayside. So if somebody wanted to write, if somebody wanted to paint, if somebody wanted to study languages, you know, if somebody wanted to, I don't know, not do anything for a while, take a gap year as people do here, those options were just not available and still aren't. I think we're very much still kind of in the rat race, even though I'd say that parents are more conscious of the toll it takes on children now than, you know, they were back then. And yeah, it was just mind boggling. You'd be traveling around the country in intense Indian heat uh, because all these exams were in the April, May kind of time frame. So you'd be traveling around the country and everybody you know would be traveling around as well and taking the same exams. Um, there was the exam for the IITs and then there were exams for the other colleges. There are state colleges, there are regional colleges, there are private engineering colleges. And, you know, you just kind of, I think they've done some work in standardizing and streamlining some of this now. 
But back then, it was just kind of a circus. And all of us were just on a train all the time um, to kind of perform at these different circuses, I would say. And yeah, it was quite, I mean, thinking back now, it was grueling physically, of course, emotionally as well, because all these results would, you know, be announced and, you know, your friends would make it into some colleges and you would and you wouldn't and all of that. But I think it was also dehumanizing too for all of us, kind of thousands or even millions of youngsters to be boxed into the same path uh, and be told that we can all only have the same future. And it's only now, I think, that a lot of people from my generation are starting to see what this has meant for them and the things that they could have done, the ways they could have bloomed, the ways they could have exercised choice were taken away from them. And um, now a lot of people, a lot of a lot of writers, a lot of comedians, stand-up comics, which is a big thing in India now, a lot of artists, dancers, painters from India are actually ex-engineers. They all studied engineering and tried their hand at that before they said, okay, this is enough. I'm going to go to go do something else. And it's only now that we're starting to exercise that choice, which is, you know, for some people, it's too late because you need kind of proper instruction and technical education, and it's too late to invest in that kind of thing. So yeah, I think it's a, it's a, it's a story of success if you look at it from the economic lens. But it is also, you know, from a human lens, it is a sad story. And I wouldn't wish it upon an entire generation of people anywhere in the world. We talked about how the inciting incident that Shubanka witnesses and, and then basically spends the rest of the novel dealing with PTSD, I guess, you know, is a good way of describing it, of that of mm. the memory of of that incident and how that was an, an inciting incident in the beginning of the rise of Hindu nationalism in India. And I wanted to talk about how that basically led us to now, like with, you know, Modi in charge of India at the moment and the the nationalists basically ascendant. Yeah, it's been interesting. And I think, you know, this is something for for us to probably think about when this time has passed. I feel like we're still very much in the middle of it. And when, when you're in the middle of something, it's difficult to analyze as to what happened and why it happened. What I can say is that it was 30 years in the making. I feel like a lot of people thought of this as, uh, as something that happened overnight when Modi and his party got elected in 2014. But what this novel tries to show is that, you know, this was, this was a long time coming from the late 80s when this campaign started to the demolition of the mosque. And then there were kind of incidents one after the other, the, the Mumbai bomb blasts, the riots and so on. That has brought us to this point. And it was also an interesting time in that. The internet came into being and then, you know, social media came into being and then WhatsApp and it was, it became so much easier for people to form groups to find like-minded people online for good or for bad. Um, and that's happened across the world for misinformation to spread on WhatsApp for, you know, fake news to, to flood our devices. And, um, and I think uh, a lot of that, a lot of technology has led to where we are where we don't know what's true, what's a fact and what's not a fact. You know, somebody you have been friends with forever, somebody you've known for a very long time comes and tells you, did you know that, you know, before the British colonized us, we were, we were flying planes or our gods knew plastic surgery. And that's why the god Ganesh has an elephant head. And, you know, you probably, you know, if you, if you didn't go look it up, you probably believe it. You'd say, yeah, our ancestors knew. And so there was a, you know, there was a lot of this kind of rumor mongering and spreading of falsehood um, through technology that 
that has brought us to this current point. And I think it's very interesting also, this whole phenomenon that has taken over the entire world. You know, you see that in America, in in the UK, in Europe, and in India, where the majority feels threatened. And this is really something for all of us to reflect on and, you know, find a way out of, because the whole point of being a majority is to not feel threatened, because, you know, you have the numbers and you are the kind of the dominant denomination your language, your religion is dominant, you know, especially Hinduism in India. I mean, 80% of the population are Hindus. And so this whole idea of the majority under threat because of a minuscule minority in a society, you know, that guarantees equal treatment for everyone. I think that's been a very interesting phenomenon. And I don't know how that has happened. And, you know, it's really kind of a masterstroke of all the politicians, all the right-wing politicians across the world who've managed to pull it off all at the same time. And we don't know how we're going to get out of it, but hopefully when we will, we'll be able to look back and really really know what happened there and why why this precipitated and how, how we can try and not make this happen again in the future. To finish it off, can I get you to read this a bit? Absolutely. So I'm going to read from uh, a chapter in the middle of the book. It's called Sunset. This is... Um, in 2013, where an adult Shubhankar has has gone for on a day trip with his parents to this kind of hill station. Later, when they have admired the failed sunset and have come down the slope, they find a cafe. Ma says she wants to drink coffee, but at the counter, Ma and Papa are flummoxed by the menu. What's a latte? Papa asks. Sir, it is black coffee with milk on top, the girl replies. And what is cappuccino? Cappuccino, sir. The girl is getting restless. It is also black coffee, but with milk on top, but with froth. So latte doesn't have froth? No, sir. Latte also has froth, but lesser than cappuccino. Can't I just get black coffee? Papa is getting restless, too. Ma has melded into the background, studying the menu so carefully she might as well be mugging it up for exams. That would be Americano, sir. Papa pricks up his right ear. American coffee? Where are the other ones from then? He steps in to rescue his parents. Why don't you go and find their seats? I'll order. Relieved, they huddle away from the counter in quick steps. They are finally esconced at a table with a view, only slightly marred by two fat children, trying to mount a heaving mule. The parents running around clicking photos the mule ejecting projectiles of poop all over the pavement. Ma and Papa sip on their coffees carefully. Ma has a moustache of foam that Papa dabs away with a hanky. Is the coffee good? he asks. His parents bob their heads. This coffee costs 175 rupees. Papa is still stuck on the menu. Can't believe the prices he's seen. Ma looks guiltily away like she has committed a crime by wanting to drink coffee and spending so much money in the process. How things have changed in the last few years, Papa shakes his head. Air-conditioned car, seat belts, smooth highways, American coffee shops. Papa looks at the darkening valley. I miss simpler times. He nods, sips his coffee. He wants to say to Papa, isn't this what you wanted? Some money and small luxuries, a car and fancy coffee? And when you couldn't get it yourself, didn't you want this for your sons? But he knows now that this is how human beings are. 
all we want is to move up the ladder. But once we've gone up, we look back and yearn. Those markers of a past time now quaint, retro. In Germany, they have a word for it. The memories of the East that have endured, even though back then people were scaling walls and crawling through tunnels to cross over to the West. Ostalgie, born out of the need to hold on to something familiar when everything around has changed beyond recognition. He wonders if there will soon be a word in this country too. Remember our trips by train? Papa's voice is wrapped in nostalgia. Indian Railways is the best. You sit by the window and watch the entire country go by. Farms, villages, towns, forests, the real India. Papa smiles fondly. And then at the stations, drinking sweet milk tea and clay cups. Ah, that chai. Papa smacks his lips, slaps his thigh. Remember? So I've been talking to Shantanu Bhattacharya about his debut novel, One Small Voice, which is out now in the UK from Penguin Fig Tree. Shantanu, thank you so much for taking the time to tell me about it. Thank you so much for having me. I really had a nice time talking to you. This episode of Little Atoms was produced, presented and edited by me, Neil Denny. Little Atoms is hosted by Acast and published by 89up. The show is broadcast on Mondays and Saturdays on Resonance 104.4 FM. Thanks for listening. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.